Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Morena everyone, happy 2022. We are into a new year and hopefully for everyone, a better one than 2021 was. Uh, my name is Mickey, you're listening to Wikipedia, and I am so excited to bring to you today the conversation that I had with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon is an integrative physician who completed her fellowship in nutritional sciences and geriatrics at Washington University, St. Louis. She's a board certified in family medicine and completed her undergraduate work in human nutrition, vitamin and mineral metabolism. And you might have heard me talk in my interview with Professor Don Lehman that I was having a conversation with Dr. Lyon in that podcast episode because Professor Don Lehman was Dr. Lyon's supervisor as she went through her postgraduate degree in nutritional sciences. So she is an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to optimal health, longevity and performance and she works closely with current and retired special operations military operators as part of the Task Force Dagger Foundation. In this interview with Dr. Lyon, we talked less about protein than I thought we would actually, and we in fact pivoted our conversation to talk about how you can take ownership of your health and health leadership. And I found it such a good conversation because it was directly in line with what Dr. Lyon is currently super interested and passionate in. And all you have to do is follow her on social media to see just some of the information that she is sharing with us. Before we kick off into the interview, I'd just like to remind you that Monday's Matter is going to kick off mid-January, January 18th to be exact, so we'll put links in the show notes as to how to sign up to that. It's an eight-week fat loss plan utilizing protein sparing modified fast in that group support setting that incorporates a host of other things that allow you to meet your body composition goals in a way that is sustainable, realistic, and doesn't leave you feeling deprived and depressed because you're on a diet. Um, this is my signature program and I'm super excited to launch the summer edition in mid-January, but in order to get yourself organized, sign up now. All right, team. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Gabriel Nyan. Dr. Nyan, thank you so much for taking the time this evening to chat to me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed when I'm following you on social media and heard you talk on your YouTube channel, but also in other podcasts, is your unapologetic and unwavering in your focus with protein, with muscle health, and the importance of this with longevity, which is quite, you know, that message is not at odds, but it is a sort of opposing other people who are interested in longevity, which I definitely want to chat to you about. Great. But one of the first things I want to ask you is, can you share with us a little bit of your background as to how you got into nutrition and, and, and also, I suppose, 
your um, passion for this area. And I know that you've chatted before, I think on another podcast about your grandmother and how she was a, an influence on you. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to be able to share that with you. I would say that growing up, healthy ways of living were always a bit on the forefront. For example, there was you know, no one in my family was overweight. My grandmother was really into fitness. You know, back in that day, that was that was maybe even before Jane Fonda, right? And she was mm. really into um, a lot of cardio, but just very active. And it defined her. People thought she was weird. She would bring peanut butter with her all over the place. And it's interesting in retrospect, if she had known what I think that we know now, she probably would have even been in better shape. Um, but you asked me kind of where the inspiration came from. And I graduated high school early. I graduated in three and a half years and I moved to Hawaii and I moved in with my godmother who actually is a PhD in nutritional sciences. Your godmother. Yeah. Oh, I said grandmother. Yes. Okay. No, no, yeah. but my grandmother was very, very interested in health and wellness and fitness. And listen, my hmm. father was a collegiate wrestler. He was captain of the wrestling team at Penn, um, you know, in order to do that, you obviously have to be pretty fit. Mm -hmm. I moved in with my godmother and she is and was really ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. She was looking at food as medicine in a very functional root cause capacity. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. changed everything. It changed everything for me. I was so deeply inspired mm. that at 17, I knew that that was going to be the path I was going to take. Yeah. And what is your sort of educational kind of background there, Gabrielle? Mm. So I did my undergraduate in human nutrition, mm. vitamin, mineral metabolism. And I did that at University of Illinois with Dr. Donald Lehman. Mm -hmm. He was a mentor very early on. Then I went to medical school. Following medical school, I did two years of psychiatry training, mm. worked as a psychiatrist for a year, then did three years of family medicine, mm. then did two more years as a postdoc in nutritional sciences, obesity medicine, and geriatrics. And what was it in your sort of postdoc? Was that the platform with which you now have your practice and your messaging and, and things like that? Like what did you see in that postdoc? Yeah, that's that also is another good question. I think that after all those years of education, going on to, and you're a PhD, so you understand that going into academia is a different experience. Really, there's the clinical knowledge, and then academia is in and of itself its own unique bird. Mm. And it synthesizes things. And there were, I was doing clinical research, and it was during that time where I was seeing, you know, we were looking at intervention, you know, we we're doing interventional studies. And I remember just looking at the women and one woman in particular and looking at her brain, right? Mm. So we imaged her brain at MRI and she'd always struggled with her weight. And I was doing Alzheimer's and cognitive research at the time as it also relates to body weight. And just looking at her brain thinking, man, in the next 10 to 20 years, she wasn't probably going to struggle to remember her kid's name. Mm. it's a plural she mm. was a mom of three in it and I realized that we were failing people so desperately mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was it was that was a light bulb moment for me really yeah 
And so from there, Gabrielle, you like you obviously you see patients, you've got like a thriving clinic, but in addition to that, you're very active on social and, and you give a lot of your time on social, putting forth your messages in and around that muscle health and protein. And it feels like it's such a contentious topic. Like you wouldn't think you know. that it would be, but my goodness, like it's really interesting because when I was doing it, it never was. Yeah. Yeah. It blows my mind that this is for some reason so controversial. Yeah. And, you know, we can all agree that nutritional science is an evolving field. Mm. We can agree that metabolism is highly complex and that there are independent variables that we're now just starting to understand. Yeah. That being said, certain fundamental concepts don't change. The quality of protein, the digestibility of protein, the need for aging muscle, whether Mm. the gut microbiome can generate amino acids on its own or whether we need essential amino acids, regardless of the way in which we get it. Biologically, from what we understand to the best of our knowledge now, there are truths in science that are repeated. And as you know, that if something is correct in its hypothesis or shows promise it's repeatable right it's not some nebulous nebulous thing yeah but it is it's amazing how controversial protein is and i listen it's so funny there are aspects of it where i actually get tired of talking about it can you imagine i talk about it all the time but if i don't right so if i choose to not continue to educate and continue to speak out about it then you know, I, I'd be shying away from a responsibility that I have. Yeah, you know, that's such an interesting point. I, I had this conversation with a friend of mine who also is a PhD, and he spends his time in the exercise field just helping people be more active, but in a really practical way. And I remember him saying to me that as a PhD, you have a responsibility, you know, that you yeah. do have this knowledge and you have that passion. And this is a gift that you need to sort of share with people because even if you feel like you are repeating yourself that there'll be people who being bored by your message and the rest of it there will always be a person that you will reach that you may not have reached with that particular post or that particular comment or you know that kind of thing and and I feel that with your messaging as well Dr. Lyon like yeah it yeah is. I mean <laughs> it is it's you know at some point I really truthfully don't want to discuss protein anymore but yeah. I, I have to in many, I mean, because of the just so much misinformation out there. And also just as you had mentioned earlier, this concept of longevity. Yeah. If we were to listen to what the common narrative is, the narrative would be eat less protein that affects longevity. And that is a really skewed way of looking at things. Right. Mm. And now this is where my wheelhouse of training is. I am a trained geriatrician. For those of people who don't know what a geriatrician is, it's specializing in individuals in the later part of their life, 65 and up, it truly is end of life and older adults. Mm. And when you think about that, the narrative right now for individuals who don't deal with the aging population, these are physicians or bloggers or influencers that really haven't been in that arena of aging, because when you've been in the arena of aging, you are never going to say, hey, why don't we decrease your high quality protein? Um, That's really going to change the longevity 
you know, or, yeah. and trajectory of your life. Because if you think about it at the end of life, okay, so let's say you decide to go vegan or vegetarian and your bone density is lower, your muscle mass is lower, and you're totally, you've crippled yourself, mm. but you live from 90 to 95 with full assistance possibly bed rest, not ambulatory. Okay. So that's one choice. Or you live till 90, totally on your own, completely vibrant and still working out and having no indications or challenges with your activity, activities of daily living. How would someone want to age? Yeah. So on that and on the idea, you know, you, like you say, you know, gosh, you've talked about protein so much and it's almost getting to that point where you're just, you know, sick of it. What is it that you are interested and passionate about talking about? If anything, like, you know, is there a, a particular part of aging which you feel actually needs more attention that we need to be considering more? Yeah. I, this, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, but that's a fantastic question. One of the things that I'm very, very interested in is less about, I mean, I love metabolism and I love nutrition. I've dedicated my life to it. I still talk to Don. Those conversations we have every day. And we just decided if those people don't, who are listening, don't know, we have a, I have a YouTube channel in which I put conversations with my mentor. And this is a 20 year relationship with one of the world's best uh, protein scientists. One of the things in over 15 years of clinical practice that I am very passionate about, and this may surprise you, but maybe not, is I'm very interested in human behavior. Mm. And I'm extremely interested in human predictability. Yeah. I have a very unique practice in where I service elite uh, members of the military, special operations. It's, you know, I take care of CEOs and very high, you know, and really anybody who is high performing, right? So if you like my message and you like my vibe with that, you know, I know it sounds cheesy, then, you know, you resonate with me. Those are the typical patients that I bring in. But what's so interesting is there are archetypes of people Mm -hmm. and it's very predictable how an individual will respond, where their downfalls are, where their strengths are. And if you can leverage that and you you leverage that it, it takes away any you take away any physical limitations yeah and people really do outstanding so that is something non-science based that is very very much on my mind well it's interesting you say it's non-science based because i've been doing a lot of mindset reading for myself over the last year like just different from different avenues um yeah. and different books and it's been super beneficial for my um my endurance sort of um endeavors but my business mind and and things like that um so and as I understand it, there's a real base of kind of psychology and science behind, you know, human behavior and, and sort of what makes people okay. tick and what drives that. You mentioned four archetypes, Gabrielle. Yeah. Can yes. you share them with us? Yeah. I, um, so it's interesting. There's actually more like 10, but that's going to yeah. come out of my book. Okay. And I would say one of the most common, there's a couple of different archetypes that I think are so fascinating as it relates to being able to get the best out of a patient. There is the CEO archetype, probably yeah. the one that I get the most. And they're interesting. They push really hard and their pitfalls are very predictable. Mm. They, they like their vices. Mm -hmm. And those vices are whether it's drugs or alcohol or they're addicted to the rush, right? And the CEO archetype 
is always in a hurry and they're not really great at following up and executing. If you put it in front of them, you give them their protocol, then they'll do it, but it's you have to be very much on top of them. The other the other type of archetype that I think is very important for people who are professionals and understanding is that there is the relationship archetype. Mm. And this is fascinating because these are the people that are going to be less likely to tell you how they're really feeling. Okay. Because they don't want to, they somehow feel that it will impact the dynamic of the relationship. They are relationship driven. So they're scared to disappoint you if they yeah. share with you something that, that you're not expecting or you, that in, right, exactly. in their or head. Or they, they don't yeah. feel well. Let's say yeah. they don't feel well. Yeah. I, so let's say, for example, I put an individual on a hypothyroidism protocol. Yeah. Where we're adjusting their medications and this is a protocol that I think is going to be beneficial. The patient doesn't necessarily feel great. Yeah. But they don't want to tell me because they don't want to disappoint me. Mm. And those are the patients that it becomes very difficult that they will go to a little length of suffering mm -hmm. rather than being forthcoming. And okay. they usually don't really complain and they're, well, my doctor said to do this, so I'm just going to do it. So that's one. Then there is the, this one, this one never gets better. This, you know, essentially is the too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> um, you typically see this, I, I hate to throw anyone under the bus, but it's more in the celebrity type yeah, patient yeah. where they have getting advice and opinion from so many different people that they never can execute forward. Yeah. And, and they so never that, get better. Yeah. They never get better. And you see that sort of just if I'm thinking like just with people in general and if, and of course my mind goes to a nutrition example here where people are like, oh, I need to lose weight. There's keto, there's carnivore, there's vegan, yeah. there's mm -hmm. all of the information, not actually putting any of it into real life. Is that what you're sort of thinking into practice? Yeah. Or, or pieces of it, parts and pieces. Yeah. Oh, well, I did this. Gabrielle said to do this. I did this. And then I got advice from this person and then I got advice from this person or you know they are asking what they think you know they ask other healthcare providers of what the protocol is and you know it's just interesting it's um those guys never get better yeah hardest street I usually don't take those on <laughs> I mean I, yeah. I usually say listen if, if this is how it's going to be then uh we're going to you know you go work with that person then when you're ready then you come back yeah. The other, um, let's see, what's the other one? The questioner patient is always interesting. Those are mm. fantastic. Mm. My husband is a questioner patient. He yeah. will do whatever you tell him, but he has to know why. And he has to understand the mechanism. This is more of the cerebral type. You're probably yeah. more of a questioner. Um, and you'll execute, but you have to know why. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how, well, do you, with the patients in clinic and just with people, I suppose that you deal with yeah. sort of every day, like, do you screen them, Gabrielle? Do you sort of like go oh, yeah. sort of know oh, what yeah. you're like? And then how does someone respond? I suppose when you're, when you sort of present them with this information, do they, are people aware in your experience of their sort of personality type or? Um, I would say no. I mm. think that uh, I, you know, I think probably one of the best skill sets that I offer patients is listening. Yeah. It's really interesting. The healthcare system in the U.S. doesn't provide a space where people feel heard. Mm. 
And that really affects, number one, their capacity for optimal health, whether it's nutrition, whether it's training, whether it's whatever it is that they're going through. And I I think it also leads to a lot of misdiagnoses Mm. because medicine right now has transitioned to become very algorithmic, which I, I think is very valuable because of the volume, but it loses its magic and it loses its art. Mm. And when you lose the art of medicine, being able to truly help people diminishes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, yeah, I totally appreciate that. And we often talk in our, like with my colleagues about the art and science of nutrition. You know, you know the the scientific principles, but actually you need to apply them to the individual in order for them to actually uh, be successful because if you don't understand that person and their situation and, and their personality type, then you could have the perfect diet, but it's not perfect yeah. for them. So it will never work. You know, I, I really, I had an experience that now in retrospect, I realize why that was possible. I mm. obviously am very protein forward and my protein mm. recommendations are one gram per pound ideal body weight. That is definitely on the higher end, but defendable by science. Mm-hmm. And I had one patient that was just like, I am not losing weight. I'm gaining weight. And you know, it's very difficult to number one, overeat protein. Mm. Number two, to overeat enough protein to actually put on weight from protein. Mm. I mean, certainly it it is based on calories in, calories out. The nuances of the equation, which I think is why there's a lot of arguing in our space. You know, there's that calories in versus calories out. And people are saying, well, it's the quality of the calories. And, you know, um, does any of that matter? I think that that is more nuanced as it relates to the gut microbiome, which Mm. certainly will come out more, I I believe, some of the more recent studies. But, um, yeah, so I was sitting in clinic in this, and I was earlier on in my career, and I was just thinking, well, everybody should have this amount of protein. And this is how it should be for everybody. Because the science would say this amount of protein will stimulate muscle, it'll improve uh, glycemic regulation, all this stuff. And she came back and she was heavier. She was like some ridiculous amount, like seven pounds heavier. Mm -hmm. And she had put on muscle. She Mm. was a hyper responder to muscle. And she was like miserable. And I will never forget that then she went to more vegetarian diet and just felt so much better, lost weight. And you know, you speak to the individuality. And I think that that is in part very important. What I think is going to happen is that we're going to begin to learn more about the gut microbiome that we don't know. For Mm -hmm. example, um, we do believe that amino acids are essential and we defined the essential amino acids to be amino acids that we get through the diet, Mm. right? That we have to eat them. However, some recent papers are coming out, a collection of a a couple, you know, in a few different labs have come out that would indicate that our microbiome can actually generate some of those essential amino acids. Yeah. And then in fact, some of those amino acids are absorbed in the colon as opposed to the small intestine. Amazing. I like like, how is I mean, so there's all these things that I while we can understand the core fundamentals. I think things are, you know, it's still changing. Yeah. And, you know, if I think to your sort of personality types and, and um, human behavior stuff. So obviously part of it is us as practitioners recognizing that everyone is different and sort of understanding and, and allowing for that. Um, also, you had a post up recently, Gabrielle, about health leadership and 
I yeah. absolutely loved it because I felt like it was it was almost the personal responsibility message, but it was a much more empowering way to put it because personal responsibility to me almost sounds like blame, like you're blaming an individual for for something, whereas health leadership is sort of um, requesting that people take ownership of their space and and them recognizing that they they are in fact you know uh, the I suppose the owners of their health and they can take some control. Yeah, you can take a lot of control. If you, you know, we think about leadership as, as what that, you know, what is leadership? And I think it's really the ability to navigate your own personal direction and intention. Mm. You can never ask someone to be or do more than you're willing to do. And yeah. I think right now in society, it's very victim based. Oh, well, this just happened to me or, you know, I, whatever it is. And that's a, that's wrong. Mm. There is, it's not just personal accountability, but it is, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice? How are you willing to show up in terms of leading from the front, Mm -hmm. doing that, you know, being the person that you're telling other people to be. And I think that that's very valuable. And Mm. what does that mean? Does that mean personally? It does also means professionally. It, you know, I think that there is a professional responsibility in health leadership. For example, one of the reasons I agreed to do this podcast is because I think that you're doing great work and you are leading from the front and it's important. Yeah. So that's really what I think about in terms of health leadership is, is transferring the victim kind of weather reporting mentality to showing up and executing. Yeah. And, you know, with do your clients or your patients, do they respond well to that sort of ownership themselves? Or is it a, you know, is it a surprise to them that they're sick? Well, probably not for you because people who come not to your clinic will know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 But what do you think in I general? Think, yeah. Do you think people are ready to sort of recognize their own sort of role? I really think it's 50 50. Mm. I think when. So I take care of a lot of people that are business oriented and own their own business, more entrepreneurial. And I always am fascinated because when, so first of all, the success of any business is dependent on the success of the visionary. And actually, when you take it one step further, the health of that visionary, Mm. how are they feeling? How are they showing up? A business can only go so far and that common denominator, that kind of linchpin piece is health. Yeah. And that's really interesting to think about. So when an individual shows up, you know, the question becomes, do they feel like they can do it? Or, you know, are these people surprised when they hear me talk? The way in which I practice medicine, I don't think is for the faint of heart. If you are Mm. extremely sensitive and want to blame and want to stay stuck, then you go to somebody else. Yeah. But if you're really ready to do the work and and just need a physician that is um, capable and excellent in their field, then that's what you know. Then you come into my practice, right? We have phenomenal physicians mm. first, first yeah. and foremost. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I think that when individuals really take personal responsibility and leadership, that's actually when you see their businesses and their lives just flourish because it, it then comes down even deeper to personal integrity. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just showing up and they're doing the work in all areas. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's absolutely actually it is multifactorial and it's multidimensional in terms of the area in which they do their work, whether it's time management or money management or their home life, whatever it is, there are these domains that you must execute. Yeah. And, you know, when we think about health and nutrition, I would love and I I just don't see this right now. I don't see the interface between the two. Mm. What you see out there now is you see really so you see good scientists. Of course, you see bad scientists, but you see the nutritional science aspect, which is a hard science. It's not like it's a soft science where it's a pseudoscience. It is a, a biochemically based science. But you don't see often an interface between the hard science of it and mm. then the aspect of human behavior. Mm. You just don't. You know, many practitioners, and I would love to see because in clinical practice, it really is the marriage of both. Yeah. It has yeah. to be. And Definitely. it's in all those domains. You know, it's not just, you know, I use emotional um, or health, you know, emotional leadership or health leadership as one piece of it. But it would be very interesting to see more individuals and more um, health care leaders really talk about the interface. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And it's a, um, I think about all of the areas that you mentioned affect obviously every corner of someone's life, right? And I don't know if I've quite said that right, but there will be like a, there's an, what I notice with some people is that there will be an anchor sort of behavior. So it might be that they change one thing with nutrition or their exercise or their sleep. Cause obviously I'm thinking from a health perspective or even the stress management. And then that's the thing. And sometimes it's surprising as to what it is. And it might not even be something which I'd even have thought of. And they're like, I did this one thing and then it snowball effect and it impacted on all of these other aspects of my behavior because you sort of have to, I don't know, speak to the, for a lot of people I find, and I'm not even sure if this is on the same theme as what you're talking about, Gabrielle, but it's, you find that one thing and that's the thing which is then going to sort of transform that person. It might be so different from yeah. what we as practitioners might even have imagined. Yes, I think what you're saying is absolutely true that, you know, you and I are both very science oriented and we'll always go to the science first, which makes sense and is extremely comfortable and important. Mm. And the other aspects are not just behavioral, but it is about leadership. It is about personal integrity. It is about really, I don't know, just being and taking control of an individual's health and wellness. And that stems beyond protein and stems beyond nutrition and yeah. stems beyond training. It is truly a multidimensional kind of a, a approach. Do you know, we did um, personality types at work this year and using the Belbin inventory. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but... Um, nah, but it sounds very interesting. Yeah. So you talked about the CEO archetype archetype and uh how um you you know they're very good at sort of getting something off the ground but not necessarily following through um yes. with it whereas um that reminded me of my Balbin personality of um I'm not mm. a very good completer finisher like I will start something but unless someone is writing me for with a deadline or constantly <laughs> either I have yeah. to do it straight away or I need that sort of uh, like follow up totally. um how does your practice change when you sort of discover you know the type of person you're working with like so how would you work with someone who might recognize themselves in that CEO archetype or that relationships archetype or 
Well, I think that really being aware of, you know, what the individual is like, for example, some of the CEOs that I have, I I just have a a very world-renowned trumpeter who I just love and I'll do everything for them, right? I will, okay, where's your assistant? Let me get this test ordered. We're going to have a home blood draw. I just have to orchestrate everything and really be the quarterback. And I'll be like, hey, you just need to show up here at this time. Just go. Yeah. And it allows for more effective treatment, right? Mm. Um, and I can only take on so many of those of the personality. It's almost like I'm their their medicine wife, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, not, one of our friends jokes that he's got his work wife, his his other wife, and then his medical wife. You know, but it's that kind of a thing. But that would be an example of really caring enough about the patient in front of you to figuring out what they need. Yeah. You know, I had another patient today who's incredibly detail-oriented, perfectionistic by nature. You better believe that her note is going to be completely tailored to her. It's going yeah. to be very specific on dates. It's going to be very specific on locations because that's what she's going to need to essentially, I don't know if it's feel safe, but it's definitely to be to feel heard. Yeah. 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 Whereas an architect, whereas a CEO, he's not even going to read his note. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter as much to him. Do you think there's. It doesn't matter. How to, like, so obviously, like, as I'm hearing it, like, it would be of value for us to understand our personality types to sort of get what we need from our medical practitioners or from any sort of practitioner that we work with, maybe. Do you think? Yes. Yes. By understanding. By understanding the archetype in which you function really will determine the success trajectory of your health and wellness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I'm a, yeah, I'm probably more of a CEO archetype when it comes to my own health. I don't really care. Just get it done. Yeah. But, you know, um, I also don't need to know the answers. Mm. You would think that as a physician, I would want to know why are you doing this? Why? I don't care. Just tell me what to do. I don't really want to know. I'm busy. I'll, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. There seems some crossover with um, what you're describing and Gretchen Rubin's uh, four tendencies. Yes. Yes. She was actually one of the original. That's a great point. She was one of the original books that I read as I was starting to put, as I started to see these patterns. Mm. Um, she was one of the original books that I read. And I was like, wow, you, I really see these patterns as patients. And then more patterns emerged Mm. and it just became so interesting, but for sure. Yeah. And so Gabrielle, you mentioned that you've got a book coming out. Um, or so tell me more. Well, right now it, yes, I have a book. It will probably be out in another year. just takes a long time and it has components of everything that we're talking about. It Mm. has obviously muscle is the organ of longevity and this concept of skeletal muscle as really the most overlooked endpoint for health and wellness, because Mm. it is, it Mm. is a vital sign and it is incredibly overlooked. Talks about muscle as the organ of longevity and as an endocrine organ, which is so fascinating. And of course, you know, I have a few different protocols for optimizing muscle mass and really optimizing longevity. So it's a protein forward, uh, protein centric, muscle centric book for optimizing longevity. Um, it does have some mindset mm. aspects. It also has some training aspects and recipes, which I'm a terrible cook, but luckily I have a co-cook expert. Brilliant. That yeah. sounds good. Yeah. And so that'll come out in a year. It'd be very cool. I'll come back on and, and talk about it. I think it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. I am and- really excited. 
I can imagine, and I I also can't imagine this where you're at with it right now, just because I, as I understand, writing a book is. V- it's, it's a big task. It's a big task, particularly like, you know, in relation to everything else that you've got going on. Can I ask you? What do you mean, if- like two very little children and a, <laughs> yeah. a man child in medical school? Yeah. Exactly. You and I yeah. run a full time concierge medical practice. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. yeah you've got I mean. a lot going on. Um, so, do you, um, what are your thoughts on biological age, Dr. Lyon? Biological age versus what? Chronological age or? Yeah, because there's a really big sort of push in that longevity space looking at these sort of uh, these metabolic biomarkers, you know, like NAD plus and um, oh, I don't know, cholesterol. Yeah. I, I can't think of other things, but, you know, sort of, yeah. yeah outside, and like, you know, if you really optimize these things, then, you know, you're really going to extend your lifespan. And obviously we spoke of, you know, the difference between a 95 year old with no muscle and a 90 year old who's buff. Absolutely. And how do we define uh, you know, extend our lifespan. Mm. Are we really designed to live to 120 or whatever? If that was in fact the case that we were supposed to and designed biologically to live longer, then there probably would be at least one human to have done that, right? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. seem seems that, um, you know, aside from the tortoise or whatever it is, there is an end point. And I ultimately think people don't want to accept that. Yeah. And I think life is very short and we all, you know, it's scary. Nobody wants to end it. And one would love to think about extending a lifespan. I think biological age is a real thing. And I think that, you know, it's interesting. I, I try not to put limitations on it. My dad said he's going to live to be 150 or whatever. Mm, mm-hmm. He's 70. Yeah, yeah. Is that true? do that there are some people in this space that say they're going to live to that kind of age i mean maybe maybe there's things happening we don't even know about yeah and what are your thoughts on that do you think well no i've been looking at um so of course these uh david sinclair i think his name is and yeah but you know i don't i don't know i listened to a couple of podcast interviews with him and I'm, I'm, I'm not sold on it. And, but, and I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert, you know, but I don't know his reasoning for, um, why he thinks something is the, um, sort of panacea to aging. It, it didn't quite sort of gel with what I understood. Right. Yeah. And I also believe, and I don't know this, but I, I think that he talks about low protein, things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Not that's, I mean, okay. So we extend life by two years for what? Yeah. 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 It's not, it just doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. And I think that that's where we have to understand that there is a difference between PhD academic research and then clinical practice. Yeah. There's just a difference. And I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. A mouse model study is going to be different than a human study. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And in fact, I think I had a quite a good conversation with um, Professor Lehman about, you know, the, you know, what the difference is between those rodent trials and what we might see in humans and what might not be able to transfer sort of over. Gabriella, after like with all of your, you know, knowledge and, and, and what you do and being a health leader yourself, what do you do to like, what's your sort of usual daily practice? Do you have a daily routine? People are always so fascinated as I am. I do. I, um, I always work out in the morning. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I have two very little kids, but it doesn't matter. I will always work out. 
And that workout, I typically am training by 7 a.m. Mm. And that has to happen on weekends. You know, people ask me, what do I do for fun? Well, I read research for fun. I think that that's fun. I love to yeah. hang out with my kids and I love to train and travel. Yeah. Fun for me is the same as work. Yeah. Right? It would all be, I mean, I guess kids are not work, but in that way, I get up, I train. Before I train, I plan my, ba- my day. So I design my day mm. before it happens. Nice. I decide what's going to happen in the magical world of my mind before anything. Yeah. How clinic is going to go, how my training is going to go, how my kids are going to be. I make up the whole thing. Brilliant. (laughs) And then I decide um, what I'm going to bring in, like what I'm going to quote manifest. Yeah. And I don't mean that in an esoteric way. I mean, okay, so I am going to manifest you know, one article and a a big podcast or something like that. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be something crazy or, you know, it's just fun. It's like a game. Right. And then at the end of the day, I rewrite the day. So the things that didn't go as I had wished, I rewrite it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And does that sort of then, does that sort of bring a closure to your day? And you're like, it's all part of it, right? It's that you've, think what it, that reminds me of Richard Wiseman and his as if principle, you know, you have to, you, you know, the way that you, you either your thoughts control your behavior or actually your behavior can control your thoughts. So it's sort of like that whole yes, mindset. I'm is. very on top of my thoughts. I'm very aware of any kind of negative thinking or any kind of uninteresting thoughts that I'm having. I'm very much on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is a very, subtle undercurrent for individuals that takes them down oh completely and people are so unaware of it as well absolutely unaware of it yes do you have any particular resources that have helped you sort of get on top of that Gabrielle that you could recommend for people yes yes the handout group I have used and coached with them for years Mm -hmm. and then a very good friend of ours Mark Devine is phenomenal he is phenomenal yeah and both of those groups, so Mark Devine has an unbeatable mind, and I started listening to him years ago, and then we became friends. And in fact, that's how I met my husband, my now husband. Amazing. Yep. He is a phenomenal resource. Okay, thank you. I've definitely seen Mark Devine's name in podcasts, and has, I've seen this book as well. That, is, that sounds great. And in terms of your training... You hit to you resistance four days a week. Yeah, I do. I always do resist. I do resistance training three or four days a week, depending. Right now, I'm on the lower body kick. Yeah. Um. You know, post pregnancy, just having a baby six months ago, I was doing a lot of kettlebells. Mm -hmm. Now I'm doing more compound movements, going towards more squats and um, heavier lifting. Trying to do a little heavier lifting. Mm, Nice deadlifts, sumo squats. things of that nature. Yeah. And then cardio, I'll throw that in tomorrow. I'll do, I'll probably do some interval training. Yeah. Two days a week of interval interval training in the morning. Yeah. Nice. And um, diet for you, Gabriel, what sort of dietary pattern do you follow? Typically it's, it's interesting. Typically it's more Mm carnivore-ish or carnivore-esque where it's high protein, low carb. I have recently switched that within the last month just to see. And I've been doing more carbohydrates, much higher carbohydrates and lower protein. Yeah. Just for four weeks, just to see how I feel. And so far? And that's with mostly um, fruits and I feel great. Yeah. I mean, I've lost lean muscle mass and I've lost overall weight. 
but it's a nice change. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always good to sort of change things up and note how you feel. It's that little bit of the sort of the art of nutrition again coming in, right? And, and sort of seeing, Absolutely. yeah, and experiencing it yourself. Um, yep. Gabrielle, just and any supplements that you might normally take? Yes, I'm using a hair formula. Lovely. Uh, postpartum, I had uh, quite a bit of postpartum hair loss. I'm yeah. using, I am using a hair formula, obviously fish oil. Mm-hmm. I try to do what has been pretty well researched and is, uh, effective. Yeah. So fish oil, vitamin D, I'll use some glutathione. Nice. Mm, what else? Um, right now that's about it. And then I cycle through it. Yeah. So I cycle through it yeah. right now. It's a like a light month. Yeah. And then next month will be something different. Yeah. yeah. But I'm always consistent about vitamin D fish oil. You know, oftentimes I'll take a multi Yeah. and glutathione. I tend to be Uh, pretty consistent with yeah well you have such a busy sort of life and you know home clinic and writing a book and all the rest of it that probably doesn't hurt to do the mind of a multivitamin and you know (laughs) yeah in in addition to all those other things caffeine and lots of caffeine yeah (laughs) yeah I was actually going to ask about your yeah yeah in in the form of coffee yeah I use a I do like coffee and I also use something called um it's called Sun Up Green Coffee. And I really, yes. really like this. And I found it when I was actually a couple years ago when I was really, really lean and looking to suppress appetite and lose weight. Yeah. And when I say lose weight, keep muscle. This company is amazing. So it's called Sun Up Green Coffee and it's a raw coffee. Oh, amazing. And so it has chlor- chlorogenic acid in it, it yeah. has polyphenols in it. So it's different than a roasted black coffee. Yeah. And what does it taste like? tea it's kind of like tea it's a little bitter yeah but you can put stuff in it it's it's a really great product okay oh fantastic product yeah nice well and it's the only one on the market it's the only one on the market oh amazing it's probably the only ones that i've ever seen a raw green coffee yeah about that yeah Gabrielle, um, thank yeah. you so much for your time today. Like I, um, it was so funny because of course I had multiple questions down here about protein and a couple on that health leadership stuff. But this conversation was, I found it really insightful because of course, you know, we can absolutely go to your YouTube channel, go to your Instagram and find all of that stuff around protein, longevity. And, and, and I'll come back on if you want to do a protein, if you want to do a protein talk, I'll come back on and we'll do it. I am just so grateful. This is one of the only conversations that I've been able to talk freely about some of the other things that are of interest to me. So this is probably one of my favorite podcasts. And I really appreciate you asking these questions and kind of going with it. And I'm, of course, happy to come back and talk about protein, because obviously, we know protein is the most important macronutrient. But there are other you know, there are other important domains to health and wellness. There really are. And I think, you know, they're often overlooked because we're looking for that one shiny little thing, that magic pill that's going to sort of, you know, bring us everything that we want. Whereas right. within ourselves, I suppose, in order to, you know, find that healthy elixir. Yes. Gabrielle, thank you. And um, obviously, so your, um, can you tell us your Instagram handle? I'm obviously going to put all this in in the show notes. Um, Sure. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, L-Y-O-N. 
And then my website is drgabriellelyon.com, my YouTube. I have had a really great conversation about fat loss and energy balance just recently with Don. Awesome. Um, I will be launching some uh, kind of a membership, quote, ment- or slash mentorship. Brilliant. Uh, at some point in the future. And of course, they can sign up for my newsletter. And if they would like to be a patient, they can apply to be a patient. That's amazing. And you have so much free resource on your website. I highly recommend yeah. people go check it out. It is amazing. Gabrielle, thank you. You Enjoy your dinner and the rest of your evening. And um, I really appreciate your time. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. Alrighty. I hope you, you guys enjoyed that and you can... Find Dr. Lyon over on Instagram and at her website, drgabriellelyon.com, and we will put links to her contact information in the show notes as well. And next week on the podcast, I had a great conversation with Matt Carpenter, who is a researcher in keto and low carb nutrition. And we talk all about his research with athletes and some of the things which he is finding out in his qualitative interviews that he is conducting with his athletes but we go into the science we go into the application and we also go into the experience so it is an awesome conversation that is next week on Wikipedia. until that time you can catch me on facebook at mickey willardin nutrition over on twitter and instagram at mickey willardin or on my website mickeywillardin.com where you can sign up to any one of my meal plans including the Mondays Matter which I mentioned earlier, book a one-on-one consultation with me or sign up to recipe portal access which gives you access to over 650 recipes which are regularly updated you get my weekly email you get the opportunity to pick my brain on anything nutrition related specific to you and you also get access to the facebook page for members where we conduct q a's and do member only facebook lives all right team you enjoy the rest of your week and look forward to catching up with you next week see you later